With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Greetings. Thank you for joining me, Attorney Sherry Jefferson, on Live with Sherry, as we discuss today's episode, Baltimore's Reaction, Cries from the Ashes, a word from Attorney Sherry Jefferson. The title in and of itself has three subject matters, and it is my hope and prayer throughout this episode that I will be able to encompass and discuss each one of the subject matters. First, allow me to start by extending my condolences to the family of Freddie Gray, the 25-year-old African-American male who may have been the victim of a murder or police homicide while in the custody of members of law enforcement, he allegedly sustained a severed spinal cord, which allegedly was about 80% of his spinal cord had been severed. And if those accusations and allegations are correct, one would surmise that entering the uh, police custody that he seemed to have been able to walk and talk and had no physical ailments. And apparently at some point in time, by the time he reached somewhere around Dolphin Way or Dolphin Street, which is located in the uh, inner city of Baltimore, that that vehicle had stopped. And the last thing that the witnesses alleged that they saw was him being removed from a face-down position and the floor of the van to being placed in a seated position. And that is allegedly the last thing that anyone saw. So there had been a cry for an investigation so that people can get answers as to whether or not 25-year-old Freddie Gray was the victim of a homicide while in police custody or if something else had happened. It has been almost two weeks since this gentleman has been killed, and I want to be careful about even using that term, or so I should say since the death of Freddie Gray, And so one would then need to ask, what happened, when did it happen, how did it happen, and why are we so slow to conduct investigations that determine whether individuals who have police citizen contact are the victims of an unjustifiable homicide versus the limited amount of time that is given to investigate an individual to subject them to police encounters. Let me make it simple for you. In a matter of five seconds, you can go and have somebody arrested. I know that all too well, regardless of how false the accusations are. And that individual could be subject to a police citizen encounter that could ultimately end in the same matter as Freddie Gray. But when it's time to investigate illegalities concerning that police citizen encounter, then we drag our feet on, and all of a sudden we need all of this insurmountable evidence that could take months to years before we receive it. How much information was needed to subject him to a police citizen encounter? How many minutes was given to make a determination that he should be the subject of an arrest? And so why then does it take a matter of weeks or months before we can get answers? So what happened? What happened? That's the bigger question. Has the 
citizens of Baltimore engaged in riotous behavior? And I would like to surmise no. And the reason why is because these are individuals who are reacting to Baltimore's reaction to the death of another young man. And while we say hashtags, Black Lives Matter, hashtags, all lives matter. All lives matter. All of them. Ours, theirs, every life matters. And it's because every life matters that we need and desire and demand answers to what led to the death of 25-year-old Freddie Gray. When you look at, on Sunday, that over 2,000 individuals from the Baltimore community marched peacefully, protested peacefully toward the city hall, got very little, if any, media attention. And then, last night, we hear, we witness, we observe a few photographs that demonstrate that there were a few individuals who engaged in riotous behavior. But should we use that term to express the reaction of a community that is underserved, underrepresented, and sick and tired of being tired, of being victims of police citizen encounters that go wrong? What accountability or responsibility do we ourselves have? I personally know about being falsely accused and how that can put you in a stead, in a place similar to that of a Freddie Gray, where your own people will lie on you. That is, your All Black Matters people will lie on you and subject you to a police citizen encounter that could have gone all wrong. So this doesn't, to me, simply address a black or white, Latina, Asian issue. It's an all lives matter because we are as accountable and responsible for placing ourselves in a police citizen encounter than we are police coming into our communities to execute warrants for our arrest and or being able to witness with their own personal knowledge us engage in felonious behavior. And so what led to the death of Freddie Gray? We don't know that as of today, but we do know that a young man is deceased. We do not, we know when he entered the van or paddy wagon, EMS, ambulatory, he was fine. He was able to walk, talk, and effectively engage. And something happened on that drive. Now it is alleged that the police made quote-unquote missteps in the handling of addressing his request for medical attention. 2020 hindsight. We are constantly reminded, be it Michael Bell or Gardner in New York, so from Missouri to New York to Baltimore to Atlanta to Florida to California, we are constantly finding ourselves reiterating the same excuses, denial, and justification when it comes down to police citizen encounters, and that is there was a misstep. That's because there's really no uniformity in how we allow police to engage in the community. And we find ourselves, particularly this year alone, if statistics are accurate, that there have been 34 members of minority communities who have been the subject of police brutality that has allegedly led to their murders, unjustifiable homicide. Departments around the country learn from each other as it pertains to police citizen encounters. 
There's a recent video that surfaced of about four officers beating a gentleman already in physical custody in an interrogation room in handcuffs, kneeing him in his face and his head, punching him, kicking him. He can't bring you any harm at that stage. Maybe instead of saying that we need officers to enter the force at a certain age and work until a certain age, maybe we may need to go beyond simple training and psychological evaluations and forensic evaluations to determine in how many years on the force are required before it's time for you to check out, before you become so jaded by your job. Or maybe whether or not we're doing enough on the front end in terms of hiring and retaining officers and effectively evaluating their psychological and forensic evaluation. We'll be back. Thank you for joining me, Attorney Sherry Jefferson, as we discuss Baltimore's reaction, cries from the ashes. And that's the part I want to talk about now. Many of you are aware that I'm the founder of the African American Juvenile Justice Project. It's a pro bono project in which I take my time, money, and resources to expend to provide community outreach, not just domestically, but on an international basis, to do everything from gearing our children up to juvenile justice and reform, to youth advocacy, to accountability and responsibility. And I do that a lot individually and or in corporate with my family law center because I am able to try my best to rebuild families one client at a time through that service. And so through AAJJP and FLC, my position as it pertains to the arrest of 235 individuals as of the time of this airing of this show, 34 of them are purportedly juveniles, and that is a great concern to me. And I know that the Maryland Coalition is on the ground there working diligently through ACLU, the NAACP, and a host of others, organizations including Joe Johnson and Joe Smith, who work very closely with the gangs in Maryland and the surrounding communities. But on behalf of the African American Juvenile Justice Project, we've equally extended our services, be it financially, as best I'm able to do, or whether or not we will be there to assist if necessary over the weekend so that we do not have any more juveniles who are subject to arrest and detention, and more so to be able to give a message to the juveniles and their parents to cease and desist. This is not your place. This is not a statement that you need to be attempting to make. Because as you demonstrate any acts of violence, only give credence. You only give them credence to assert, see, this is how they are. They are a violent people. This is why the likes of Freddie Gray are deceased. And that's not the case. We have to be able to represent who we are. And I get it. Trust you me, I get it. I understand how you get to that place of wanting and feeling and believing that your reaction must be in such a way where you send a message. I get it. Trust you me, I get it. But there's a time and there's a place for that, and there's a message that can be sent in a way that does not subject you to a police citizen encounter, that does not subject you to having a record that we later have to try to expunge, to subjecting you to possible incarceration and missed and lost opportunities because of misjudgment and poor judgment. So my, my prayer, and I use that word loosely these days, my prayer would be that you think before you act, 
and you understand that every action will have a reaction, and in the end, it may not be to your benefit. So watch, listen, learn, and observe. Paired what has taken place in Baltimore to the 1968 riots that occurred following the murder and assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and it happens to be in the same month. But there's a difference here, and the difference is not that Freddie Gray is not a Dr. King because in his own right he very well could have been and may be because at the end of the day it comes back to a ministry and a messenger. What was the death and the murder of Dr. King? Was it a death of a dream? And how do people visualize the murder or the death of Freddie Gray? Is it a death of a dream, a dream assassined? Because he, again, because a victim of police brutality and another incident involving a young male whose death goes unaccounted for. But then I'd say, how many other young black men in Baltimore have been murdered since January? And how many of their deaths have been accounted for? So when we state that black lives matter, with all due respect, that has to be a dual statement, that it doesn't nearly matter when it's taken at the hands of someone who's not of African-American or black origin, but rather that it matters all the time. And that the same outcry, the same reaction that we have upon the death of a Freddie Gray we ought to have it, all the unsung young men and women who are murdered every single day from Newark, New Jersey, to the streets of Chicago, Illinois, to Compton and the Swats of Atlanta and California, to Miami, Dade, to Houston, Texas, and all points in between. We can't simply have a reaction to the death of a black man only when it's at the hands of a police officer, because then black lives don't matter. That's the message that we give when almost 3,000 of us can be murdered at our own hands with no community outcry or support or reaction. But if 34 of us are killed by law enforcement, black lives matter. They matter all day, every day. All lives matter, regardless of your race. And if we think from that premise, then we alleviate the superiority and the inferior, inferiority complexes that resolve in discriminatory practices. We don't want to become the other side where we believe that our lives matter any more than anyone else. Although we're reference point is, we are of importance. We are significant. We are human beings, and our lives matter. But again, I say, as a victim of being falsely accused, as a victim of one who's been placed in the stead of a police citizen encounter that could have gone all wrong at the hands of two colored people, yes, and we're going to be discussing that in later shows, I don't have the same sense of agony as maybe a lot of people in my listening audience do when something happens to us as a community, because I do understand the crab mentality that we possess. And until we get it right internally, we're not going to be respected externally. Until we deal with the issues that we have as a community internally, we're not going to get the support that we need externally. Until we recognize the brutality that we bring amongst our own people, the unjustifiable homicides that occur within our own community, it makes it very difficult for us 
when someone else takes our lives, for us to say black lives now matter. All lives matter. And black lives matter all day, every day. So hashtag black lives matter 24-7-365. Black lives matter 24-7-365. Hashtag black lives matter 24-7-365. Not just when a police officer takes their lives. Not merely when a Zimmerman takes the life of a Trayvon Martin. It matters all day, every day. And we are as accountable and responsible for what is happening in our community and the reaction of what happens in our community. So allow me to say this. There's not rioting in Baltimore. No, it's not the Baltimore riots, as mainstream media has alleged. It's Baltimore's reaction. Cry from the ashes from every injustice that they believe they have experienced all day, every day, 24-7, 365. So when the governor, Hogan, says, I want to call for calm, the people of Maryland and all across the country are saying they want to call for an investigation. We'll be Thank you for holding, and thank you for joining me, Attorney Sherry Jefferson, on Live with Sherry, as we discuss today's episode, Baltimore's Reaction, A Cry from the Ashes, a word from Attorney Sherry Jefferson. So allow me to discuss that segment. What is the word for me today? More from a legal premise or perspective. Let's start with Governor Hogan. And Governor Hogan has basically called for calm and rest and peace. And I get it. You're right outside of the Capitol where President Obama is basically alleging that some of the actions that have taken place are just outright criminal. Was that the place of the president to say it this time? In a matter of what are we looking at? Just a couple of weeks ago, Ferguson, and a few weeks before that, Gardner in New York, I get it. I do understand the role of the president. He has to have a dual responsibility in addressing calm and peace and organized protest. But at the same time, I look to the 2,000 people who peacefully protested the city hall on Sunday with very little, if any, media attention at all and very little, if any, mentioning from the administration to say that is a demonstration of what one needs to follow. And so there are many who are concerned about the president being vocal and actually equating what has transpired in Baltimore as nothing more than a group of thugs, so to speak, who are engaged in riotous and criminal behavior. But then there's something that he did say that mainstream media sort of forgot about. And what he did say, and I want to remind it and paraphrase it, is that this is, this is a generation who's crying out from years of abuse, neglect, discriminatory practices, and mainstream media didn't mention that. They sort of let that slip by. They hear is a president who sees the glass both half empty as well as half full. There were many who were waiting on the appointment that was recently made from our first African-American female U.S. Attorney General to hear what it was she had to say concerning this matter. We do know that the National Guard troops, have been called and are there on the ground, and we're only hoping that the purpose that they serve would be for unification, organization, peaceful demonstration. 
so that the individuals who are responsible and accountable for engaging in theft, thievery, and any burdens and looting and the like, that that small, very, very, very small segment of society will be dealt with accordingly. Because what is happening in Baltimore is reactionary and is the reaction that most Americans, regardless of his or her race, believe in. You saw the movie Selma. One of the brilliant things that Oprah Winfrey did in that movie was finally shut up the critics, particularly in the seven southern states, particularly in Georgia, where most in Georgia tend to think the civil rights movement started with Dr. King, ended with Dr. King. And the truth of the matter is there was a movement before King, and there's been a movement since King. And like the movie Selma was able to pronounce one-third of the individuals who partook in that protest on that bridge were white, Caucasian. And the other were out-of-towners, individuals who came from as far as New York and Boston, one of whom was beat to death and died. So the struggle for African Americans in America has not been limited to blacks fighting for blacks and us being on the front line and by ourselves on the front line. But there has always been, from the days of the abolitionists through the civil rights movement to today, many of our brethren who represent all walks of life, who recognize the disparate impact, who recognize the discriminatory practices, who recognize the human rights violations, who have been willing to join and sacrifice their own livelihoods for the sanctity of human rights. And we have to recognize that for what it is. It's not limited to just a core group of people from little old Baltimore. No, it's not a core group of people limited to Atlanta, Georgia, who want to march with Dr. King and say, I have a dream. No, it's not that. It's people who learned, watched, and observed from this thing called television, which some refer to as the idiot box, but it makes a lot of sense when it needs to. Because but for... These young men and women engaging in this alleged riotous act, maybe many people would not have even known what happened to Freddie Gray across this country because the peaceful protest didn't garner much attention. And it is unfortunate that it seems to be that the only time mainstream media is willing to jump on board is if you're burning buildings, setting people on fire, bombing things, and or engaging in riotous behavior, which includes looting. And so although we're able to say that this small segment of society is responsible for the rioting, we're also able to thank them for it. Yes, thank them, because but for their activity, how many of us would have known what happened to Freddie Gray? How many of us would have known that 80% of his spinal cord was severed? How many of us would have been able to see video footage of him entering the back of the vehicle? How many of us would have known that he stopped on Dolphin? How many of us would have known that he died as an actual and approximate cause of the injuries that he sustained while in police custody? Governor Hogan says that he will be issuing executive orders and legislation and that he is hoping to increase the civil liability claims that individuals who are victims of police brutality and civil rights violations while in the custody of police officers will be increased from 200000 to 400000 against the cities. I would hope that he also goes a little further with regard to addressing qualified immunity issues, 
and when and how we can target these individuals, not just simply the police, but even if it's private citizens who are executing arrests and warrants against individuals, that they are suffering and they have a financial burden that they are responsible for carrying. He's equally uh, interested in extending an investigation that he hopes to be able to do in collaboration with the mayor as well as Commissioner Batts as well as his lieutenant governor. So there are things that he is, in fact, doing. And while many are quick to say, well, the mayor's a Democrat and he's a Republican, today they are both victims of an unnecessary circumstance that has been placed at their front door. And they are as victimized by this circumstance as is the family of Freddie Gray, because neither one of them asked for it. Today, they are operating in the capacities that they have as the leaders of Maryland and Baltimore to take a stand for what they also believe in individually, but what they have to deal with corporately. Today, they have made a statement to the United States and to the world over who's watching that together, regardless of our political affiliation, we will work together in an effort to not simply clear the streets of Baltimore for today, but resolve the issue of police brutality into the future. And it's unfortunate that it came to their front door. And the world is watching because many of those people are now finding themselves in the streets of the District of Columbia in the president's backyard. So he, too, has to sort of examine, re-examine, define and redefine and be purposeful about what he says, how he says it, and what he plans on doing to bring about change. Because it is interesting enough that in his last two administrations, the number of young African-American males and females who have been victimized and subject to police brutality at an alarming rate, many of whom speculate if when the situation first transpired with Gates in Boston years ago when he first took office, if he had dealt with that circumstance differently, would young black males on the streets of America be suffering at the hands of police brutality at the alarming rate that they're dealing with now? Was he too passive in dealing with an issue that struck a chord with so many inner-city young youth? We don't know. We may never get the answers to that. Or could it be that these are retaliatory measures against the first African-American male, United States Attorney General Eric Holder? Some of these subliminal, purposeful, or inadvertent, where young black males are just being murdered at the hands of police officers. But again, how often do we place ourselves in the presence of police officers because of our own doing or the doing of someone else. I know all too well how envy, jealousy, and strife can have you innocently accused where you can have an all-points bulletin issued against you at the hands of a racist magistrate chief judge and a couple of two little colored boys who played the game, who played the game with this racist judge with hopes of it being to my demise, along with two African-American females, haters, straight haters. So, again, I don't have the same passion or conviction about police-citizen encounters as most do because I know that most of my worst experiences have come at the hands of dealing with our own people. And where there are whites on board, it's usually one of us 
skip it around like pepper thrown in salt, just like slavery, that they could be used for their purpose forbidden. And when that happens, and when that happens, and when that happens, you could have a circumstance like Freddie Gray, where an innocent individual is subject police-citizen contact that can go all wrong because you don't know the police that that individual is going to encounter on that day when you exercise a private citizen warrant, when you call 911 and subject someone to arrest. We don't know. We don't have those answers. No more than the family of Freddie Gray and the people of Baltimore have the answers. So what happened to 25-year-old Freddie Gray? And I would hope that the answers come fast, quick, and in a hurry, as quick and as in a hurry as it resolved in his death. In a matter of minutes, that young man went from talking and walking to being killed. And it shouldn't take that long for someone to find out what happened if they really want the answers. Thank you for joining me, Attorney Sherry Jefferson on DTR, and thank you for this opportunity to present to you Baltimore Reaction, Cries from the Ashes, a word from Attorney Sherry Jefferson. Be blessed and be encouraged. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.